Hello, everybody. Welcome to part two of Power Slave. And today we will be doing a track by track um, for Power Slave, and and we will be discussing some fan mail. Before we do that, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. My name is Suiz Radu, and I am from San Juan, Puerto Rico. Paul. Yes, I am Paul Catapano. I. <laughs> I'm lost and drugged. This is the yeah. first time we're doing this, so you're totally wake up, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, it's eleven eleven. Wake up. Yeah. It's about uh, time. Well, I'm trying to think of where I'm from. I mean, I've been in Georgia most of my life, but I, I mean, always you don't, you don't have to say that. You can say no. something else. What like I come from Ragnarok? Yes. Yes. Why not? <laughs> yes. Why not? I have been watching a lot of uh, Odorous lately, uh, turning my dad into uh, kind of a fan of Dave Brocky. As you should. Everybody should be a fan of Dave Brocky. <laughs> and then on the other side, we have the man who makes me touch myself every time he speaks, Anthony. <laughs> my name is Anthony Williams. I am occasionally from Ragnarok, but mostly from London. And I've been in the U.S. for nine years, and I'm just happy to be here on this podcast. Yay! <laughs> yay! So, yay. yay! So before we go, uh, we move forward. I have a I have a great comment that we got on Facebook. My my good friend Josh, who uh, who doesn't um, really waste a lot of time. He 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 has a very set taste in in the things that he likes. He um he uh, said that he really enjoyed our podcast and that he was uh, very entertained. That's very cool. Yeah, no, don't don't you all get so excited about this? <laughs> Your excitement is just brewing. I know. I'm I'm ulti- uh, trying so- to hold back Ultimate Warrior right now. You know. Yeah, no, I see that. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> then I also got an email. I have an email. This one is actually is for all of us. It says, guys, great show. Um, just a note. Fuck the British guy. And it's signed um, DL. But I don't know what that is. DL. Yeah, I have no idea. Did you piss anybody off? Hmm. Maybe. I mean, you know, I do like to shit on... Uh... A certain band with those initials so maybe the entire band are emailing me i don't know got it, some mail. It, i actually got some mail as you got well. mail oh sure what, what did it say yeah so weirdly it came to my account but it, it was addressed to oh sweet and it said this dear, dear sweet radu i'm extremely disappointed to hear paul bad mouthing the amazing avenge sevenfold I can only imagine that it's because he is jealous of their sweet guitarist's amazing abilities and wishes that he could play at the same level. That could be the only reason that he hates us, uh, uh, I mean them. With zero regards, S.G. Huh. Man. <laughs> yeah. That is, that's insane. So we got one yeah. positive mail and two hate mails. That's crazy. Yep. I mean, I'm taking hate mail as, you know, a, a sign that we're doing something right. Only amazing podcasts get hate that is true, that is true. <laughs> and you know that we we have reached the next level when we get a crazy stalker that is true that is true so yeah i mean 
I, I'm pretty sure they're not going to write us again. But if they were, uh, you can send our emails to the ritualpodcast at gmail.com. And we will gladly read them in the air. I'm just saying. So um, speaking of um, controversies, it seems that Anthony is um, extremely uh, offended by something that I said on the last podcast. And you haven't even heard it because I just finished it and it'll be released. <laughs> it'll be released a week after this one comes out, which is a Power Slave Part 1, but I discussed it with you, and I said how much I enjoyed the Paul Diano solo album, and I believe that the message I got back was, what the fuck, Radu? <laughs> so, I was doing some yard work yesterday, and, you know, I've got my, got my headphones in, and I'm pulling weeds out of the ground, and those fucking dandelions, fuck them. Anyway... <laughs> I've got this album. I'm like, okay, I finished listening to Live After Death, which we're doing next time round. And I'm like, okay, I've still got some work to do. What should I put on? Radu piano <laughs> album. And I put it on and the fucking synth start. And I'm just listening to that first track. And my reaction is, what the fuck? <laughs> I said the first track was bad. <laughs> uh, so, so here's the thing. And I know you're going to tell me, I know exactly what you're going to tell me, Roger. You're going to be like, geez, man, let the artist just grow. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't expecting Journey, but shitter. Like his voice was great, but musically, that was not what I expected nor wanted from a Paul Diano album. You know what's really, really hilarious? That one of the, I, I wish... I would have already sent you guys the proof for the for the uh, podcast because I already recorded and it said I understand why Maiden fans at the time had an issue with this album, but it guessed that Maiden times at this time still have issues with the album. Yes, this Maiden fan does have an issue with that album. <laughs> Jesus Christ, dude! I mean, I I will admit that it wasn't my favorite thing that I've ever heard. But I definitely picked up, you know, I listened to the first song, which, yes, I agree, was pretty bad. It's and, terrible. Yeah, and, the first and song the, uh, And the other ones, they're okay. But it really was kind of like a weak journey with a strong vocalist. But, um, yeah. or Maiden made and Journey kind of mixed in a sense. But the music <laughs> wasn't as hyped as Journey would be. But Murney, it's Murney. Murney? Murney. I mean... I, I think my biggest thing was his voice, in my opinion, just didn't go with the music. You know, the, the music was very overproduced, very heavy on the synths. His voice still has that raw kind of edge to it. If I wanted, um, like, for me, his voice just didn't match up with the album, right? His voice is still kind of raw. It's still got that punky edge. The album was very synth heavy. It was overproduced. Like, if they stripped away some of the um some of the production i think it could have worked but the way it was it just didn't work for me i thoroughly enjoyed it i thought i thought it was and i think i liked it because i listened to i which is why you guys love some songs and i don't and i like some songs and you guys are like no no because i listened to the vocal melodies and the lyrics and there was a lot of heart in that album and I also feel like the melodies were fantastic. I am trying to pull up the the title, the, the song uh, titles, but I can't fucking find it. Uh, but I know that one of the one of the last tracks is one of my favorites, and 
the I'll, I'll I'll send you songs so you can hear the songs isolated and not absolutely. I mean, and hey, I don't give a fuck. You either like you like it great, you don't like it. You know, it, it doesn't. It, it makes no difference to me. But I'm just telling you why I liked it. I just wanted you. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah, we can't all be perfect, Roddy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> don't you? Yeah, you like the flapper. We don't. And um, <laughs> Paul loves loves every little thing that Volbeat's ever written. That's right. And he so, particularly loves you know. Avenged Sevenfold. Yes. Uh, oh, that's his favorite band. Yeah, Sinister, I can't remember. Sinister Gates is my favorite guitar player. There you go. I couldn't remember the guy's name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, huh. isn't that... Huh, yeah, that reminds me. His initial, initial nah. SG? Hmm. Nah. Nah, nah. no, it can't it's be. probably Samuel Garfield or something like that. <laughs> thank you guys for uh listening this is uh part two where we're gonna go into a deep dive into the actual songs for power slave there is not a lot of arguing on this one but i'm pretty sure we're gonna be arguing in live after death so prepare <laughs> <laughs> anyway enjoy guys all right guys well thank you so much for um Waiting it out while I speak. Uh, guys, I don't think we're going to need a part two on this. This is going really fast, but I guess when I get to editing, we'll know. Awesome. Note to self, I was fucking wrong. This is a lot of information that we've gone through. It's like I'm, I'm galloping through it. Um, galloping like Steve Harris's bass lines? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes. Speaking of galloping, King of the Segways, Aces High is our first track. So the opening track for the album describes an air battle from the point of the Ace Pilot, inspired by the Battle of England, which was the first battle to be fought mainly on the air. It appeared on the 1986 film Incident at Channel Q during a battle between straight people and headbangers. Not straight as in heterosexuals. The unsweet non-metal listening masses. Uh, I read on, I read online that it was partially inspired by the 1976 war film starring Malcolm McDowell and Christopher Plummer. Huh. So the, yeah, fucking, yeah, just just those two fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> IMDb for this movie describes it as a quiet suburban neighborhood declares war on a heavy metal DJ and his radio station triggering an all-out war between the metalheads and the straights. Wouldn't that basically be like the same movie, um, what was his name, Christian Slater did in the late 80s? You guys know what I'm talking about? Pump up the volume? No. Yeah. Yeah, pump up the volume. Isn't that kind of the same thing? Yeah, and the one with, um, with Lemmy that had Born to Raise Hell. Oh, you mean the Airheads? Airheads. <laughs> That's right. Who would win in a battle, Lemmy or God? Trick question. So, so qu Lemmy is God. Question for you guys: Are you ready for that eventual showdown between us headbangers and, and the straights? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bring them on. That's but right. I, I may not be too ready today, but bring them on. <laughs> On a day that I'm not sick, yeah, bring him. <laughs> On the book, Iron Maiden, album by album by Martin Popoff. Popoff? Popoff? I'm sorry, Martin. Listen, dude. Why can't you be like Martin Pop? It will be better. Popoff? Popoff? What I think it's Pop Popoff. 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 All right, good. Martin Popoff. Uh, your book is great, dude, but I can't say your fucking last name. He, 
he interviews Blaze Bailey about this song, and Blaze says that this song is absolutely fantastic. Poetry, really. And that on the odd occasion that I've sung it, it evokes the feeling of being there before the battle. So, hold up, hold up. You know a little bit about my, my history with Blaze Bailey, and I, I love Blaze. Great guy. I cannot wait to get to Great guy. Um, great solo musician. I liked his time in Maiden, but I cannot hear him sing Aces High. Like, just it doesn't fit his range in any way, shape, or form. And I'm wondering what the fuck he was doing singing it on those odd occasions. <laughs> Practice? <laughs> <laughs> so this is not my story. This is my friend Steve's story. Steve went to see Maiden on the... I'm not sure if it was X Factor or I, I, I don't think it was X Factor because I think the X Factor tour got canceled for the US. I could be wrong. It was at the Masquerade in Atlanta, the old Masquerade. All, when I asked him, so you saw the, uh, the X Factor tour? And he was like, yeah. The only thing he could tell me was that Blaze sang Two Minutes to Midnight and it was so bad that he walked to the back. <laughs> wow. You know, that that was on the X Factor. He, he was like, I, I, I thought about leaving the, the show, but I couldn't. I had to support the rest of the band. <sighs> but he was very offended by, by his rendition of Two Minutes to Midnight. Well, I mean, that's the problem. They, they had Blaze singing songs that just didn't work with his voice. Like, that's not really his fault. I mean, maybe he should have said, hey, I can't sing this. We should do something else. But, you know, the fact they still wanted to do two minutes and they still wanted to try and get him to do uh, The Trooper, right? That's Those are, yeah. those are songs that he just blunt, bluntly in a game. I like him as a vocalist, but they, they're, they're songs he has no business singing. They do not work with his So that is, that is definitely something that I want to discuss more when we get to Blaze. But there is a show, it's on YouTube, where they're singing The Trooper in Chile. And there's people in the front row just spitting at Blaze. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> oh my God. I've seen that. <laughs> and he's like super, like, okay, of course, he's noticeably angry. And so is Steve. Hanks. I mean, I have so much to say about this, but we'll get to it when we get there. The Misfits, when they got their new singer, they played South America too. And one of the shows from the moment the the singer in the in the in the singer's biography it, it's it wasn't with it wasn't with michael graves it was with uh mike hideous between those days that they dates they, they did they did puerto rico and a couple of south american shows and he said that they played a club in south america i don't know where that from the moment they started playing it was a sea of spit and they play shirtless so <laughs> Oh my Everybody's, god. Like they are covered in spit and they did they finished the half the set. And he was like, fuck this. And they walked out of stage. And they left Jerry only with the bass while he sang Skulls by himself. Because even the drummer was like, Wow. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Um so Blaze also adds that if you have seen the film The Battle of Britain. It really feels like this song could have been part of that soundtrack. Have you heard, have you seen them, um, Anthony? No. Okay. I, I thought if any of us would have seen it as you, you're more of a history person. Yeah, you know, you. I I don't like war movies that much. It's probably something that I've, I've, I might have seen at some point because my dad loves war movies and he had them on a lot when I was a kid. But yeah, I don't mm -hmm. think I've ever consciously seen that movie. Yeah, every war movie I've seen was because my dad said, we're going to watch this war movie. 
I've never purposely grabbed a war movie and said this is what I'm. Yeah, going to exactly. So, on a side note, um, since we did the first few Iron Maiden albums before we had the new show format, I found some info on Invaders from Number of the Beast. Uh, I found out that the song was about a Viking sea battle. Is that something? I think you had mentioned that, Anthony, didn't you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and I was like, oh, really? Oh, I'm just going to continue mulling through my bullshit. (laughs) And and just say, I don't have the time to go down that rabbit hole, but if you good people listening are enjoying our new format and you would want us to do the previous ones the same way, when we're done, we may do a deep dive on those albums we did before later on. But only if you're interested. Because as, as it is right now, this podcast is long. So to me personally, the highlight of this song live is the intro, Churchill's Speech. I am so pumped by this every time I listen to it. Yeah, it's it's crazy. If, you, if you've never experienced this live, I highly recommend that you do. Make sure, you know, look at that set list, see what they're playing. And if you're playing Aces High, make sure you make it to that show. I've had the pleasure of having this song either be the opening track for uh, an Iron Maiden show or be the opening track of them coming from back from an encore a couple times. And man, it's amazing to hear that speech. How about we go through that speech? All right. So my Churchill impression isn't that great. So I'm going to do this somewhat with his inflection. All right. Here goes. It's probably we- better than mine. You know, in Puerto Rico, we call him Winston Churchill. So <laughs> <laughs> just starting there, you're winning. All right. Here, here we go. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. So good. Yeah, uh, I was I was listening to the album. <laughs> I listened to the album for like I think it's the fifth time in the past two days this morning. <laughs> I just can't seem to get enough of this album. I just wanted to listen to it again, but I really love. Um, there's a guitar part in the in the verses where it's actually following his lyrics and it just i don't know it was just something i noticed it sounded really interesting and cool i mean and he's moving the chords jumping around just as much as he's singing each kind of kind of syllable and and i think that it adds because you know you were saying that it was basically the ace pilot so it kind of makes you feel like you're doing those kind of fast maneuvers in the plane as much as possible. I mean, and you know that I'm yeah. like a, a, a big fan of the, the phrase statement of intent and yes. <laughs> fuck yes. me. I'm making always start out their albums with a statement of intent and they've done it again here. You know, the, from the opening, the drumming and the, the ripping and the speed of it, like, fuck. Except Book of Souls, but I guess we'll get there soon. Yeah, we'll we'll come back to that. But yeah. you know, certainly in the, at this point in their history, they start out strong as hell, and that's this track. Yeah, and then uh, that song, that amazing track, is followed by Two Minutes to Midnight, another classic on this album. A song about the threat of nuclear war. The song has no Steve Harris credit on it. The writing team was Bruce Dickinson and Adrian Smith. 
Uh, I told you guys last time that they will become BFFs after all that time spent together at the hotel drinking and, dry, and writing. On the album-by-album album book, Mike Pornoy of Dream Theater says that he thought the song was an exact ripoff of Curse of the Pharaohs by Merciful Fate and accepts Flash Rocking Man. So, right. Go I'm ahead. Say, I think he might, he's probably, I think Maiden probably listened to Accept. I have my doubts that they listened to Merciful Fate. But, you know, just knowing what I know about the guys, that seems like the more likely one. Right. Well, see, here's the thing is I did research. I don't know if you have an ability to play the songs to. Uh... Yes, I will. I will for the <clears throat> I will right after. Um, I'll play it right after we're done, but I can't play it right this second. OK. Yeah. But anyway, um, I listened to them all together and it's close but it's really hard to justify a ripoff um, considering that these songs those songs specifically only came out a year before um, this album even came out to which they would have been doing peace of mind and touring and you're going to tell me that they're somehow managed to taken you know take a song off somebody's album that occurred in that same amount of time i just i don't i don't find it very probable um also i came up with two other songs um just because the nature of the genre of music um lends itself to have that same cadence so it's got the open chugging a with these little double stop kind of you know small chords and I actually sat down for about 20 or 30 minutes last night and looked over every single song. And they all play completely differently other than the open A. So I don't know. I kind of disprove <laughs> the ripoff. But, you know, we could probably figure out another, you know, 10 songs that all start out similar to uh, Two Minutes to Midnight. And the, the title of the song is a reference to the Doomsday Clock created in 1947 by Bullet of Atomic Sciences magazine. The clock started at seven minutes to midnight, and at the worst time, it came as close as two minutes. Um, I visited their website at the moment, um, and I see Anthony changed that. Did, did, did you go back there and see that it was a seconds instead of minutes? Yeah, 100 minutes is is very long yeah it's 100 seconds so it's actually closer now than oh, two minutes yeah. damn you coronavirus <laughs> so their website and then at the moment they they are at 100 seconds to midnight um and that was <clears throat> well that was just now and today is may 3rd um at around 12 p.m they are currently talking about the coronavirus climate change they still discuss nuclear risk, and my favorite thing that I saw on their website, uh, well, to be honest, one of my favorite things, I, I spent a lot of time there. Uh, I saw that their president and CEO has a short news broadcast, and it's called Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist. I love that. That sounds so like... Doctor Who. I, I was going to say, it sounds like 1960s Soviet. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. It's so Doctor Who. So when I was... A teenager and starting to get into Maiden, uh, we were learning about the Cold War in history class. And of course, you know, they naturally at some point the, the teacher starts talking about the doomsday clock and uh, 
you know how at its closest it was at two minutes to midnight and i was just sitting there in the back of the classroom with this song just going through my head every time we talked about it it was awesome it's not my favorite song on the album and i understand why a lot of people say that it's a very commercial song man it's so much fun live well and you can't help but sing the chorus it's so catchy yeah, and, you know, I think it's a classic for a reason. You know, it's, it's probably one of them songs that's been played live the most. You know, there's a reason for that. And then that song is followed by Lost for Words, Big Aura. Big Aura. Big Aura. Big Aura. Big Aura. <laughs> so after this album, the band did not record another instrumental track unless you count the beginning of Final Frontier. But that is pretty much tacked on to the song itself. And also that song has some Bruce Dickinson whales and singing in the background. Um, I was told by, we're back to Steve again. I was told by my friend Steve, he's one of the biggest Maiden fans that I know, <clears throat> that it is because Steve, because Bruce doesn't like instrumental tracks and that he feels he must sing over everything. <laughs> you can't keep him quiet, man. <laughs> you cannot keep him quiet. He's got to um, talk. <laughs> Maiden recorded an Adrian Smith Project covers uh, song um, that they call Reach Out. Every time Bruce would sing the chorus, Stephen would lose his goddamn <laughs> mind. It's like, why does he have to sing on every? Because he he just he he had an I don't know he has an issue with Bruce just not wanting uh, instrumental tracks. I read online also that a couple of times that they feel that people feel that this song is the weakest of all the instrumental tracks that they have done. It could be wrong. I think Transylvania. When I wrote this, I said Transylvania was my favorite, but I've since heard Genghis Genghis Khan. So I'm not sure. I'm going with Transylvania. Cool. All right. And then I love, I also love the Ides of March. Uh, my brain never really wrapped around counting Ides of March as part of the instrumental songs because I'm fucking stupid. And I don't think of instrumental as instrumental intros, but whatever. Um, I was literally going through Number of the Beast trying to find out what's the fucking instrumental in this album. So what do you guys think? I, I'm, I'm curious about Paul's opinion about Lost for Words. Hmm. I I really dig it. I mean, but it's it's not their best, I don't think. It, it's really hard to say because their instrumentals are all similar but very different. Explain yourself. <laughs> oh, now comparing it, I'd have to actually listen to Transylvania and Genghis Khan to really be. But I know, you know, the Ides of March, you know, segues into uh, what song? I'm drawing a blank. Oh, it's a March uh, Ratchow. Right, yeah. So I think that one plays into it well, but you know, if you're going for an instrumental to do the same thing, I don't think it does that into uh, Flash of the Blade. I would think that Transylvania and Genghis Khan probably fit better too on the other albums. This one just seems like, like we wrote this song, we have all these harmonies and these great parts, we're just going to put it in here. And it works, but it's not not as well planned out as some of the other ones have been i really like this one i, I think it's got some really great guitar tones on it uh the bass line is awesome uh it, it breaks up the album nicely you know after the intensity of those first two songs having something that's a bit of a change of pace i think where it's placed works really really well i i like it i i so you know we discussed last night um in my in my stupor of me replying to you being all all shitty, um, literally. Um, 
<laughs> I, um, I, you, you told me that you thought the album dips in the middle and then it gets better again. I mean, it's fantastic. I like this album front to back. Songs I thought I didn't like, Lost for Words, Flash of the Blade, and The Duelist, I actually enjoyed. I, I feel that the, the album keeps it. Like, they, it keeps the, the quality throughout that we don't hear or we've never heard or we won't ever hear these songs live because they're like, eh, fuck it. Uh, it's, it's understandable. But, um, yeah, I think, I, I think the Lost for Words keeps it up. It, it holds on. Especially for someone like me who, if it doesn't have lyrics, I pass I spass out. <laughs> yeah, because you're Bruce. You got to sing on everything. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Damn it, Roddy. I was like, oh, Paul, you can do that song as an instrumental. Oh, here's Forsaken One. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now we're going to turn this into a seven minute, eight minute monster. <laughs> hey, I've heard the original instrumental version of Forsaken 2. So, yeah, and know. that's how that one started, too. It was like, oh, well, you can just, just show it to the guys and see if, you, if they like it, and all together we can do it instrumental. And then. A day later, hey, I will. <laughs> and then Rodu shows up. It's like, up. wait a minute, I, mean, I got a different idea. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul's uh, like, okay. <laughs> Thankfully, Paul is like, okay, not like you said instrumental, motherfucker. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that one's followed by, and here, here, here comes, here becomes the 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 arguments begin. The. <laughs> <laughs> Flash of the Blade. The song Flash of the Blade is included in the soundtrack of the movie Phenomena from Dario Argento. I am a huge Dario Argento fan and I have seen most of his movies. Now, when I say huge Dario Argento fan, my fandom TikToks till Mother of the Three Mothers. That movie was kind of shit. And from there on, I kind of took a break. But the old stuff, oh my god! And phenomena is one of them. Uh, phenomena is one of my favorites. I saw it, I saw it as both phenomena and as creepers because I saw it as a little kid, and I was in love with this movie. It feels kind of like an attempt to bring Dario's brand of movie making into the USA. It has a young Jennifer Connelly and sweet, sweet Donald Pleasance. The song was covered by Paul's favorite band, Avenged Sevenfold, <laughs> on, <laughs> on her album Live at the BLC and Diamonds in the Rough. And it's also in the Gem and the Holograms episode, Kimber's Rebellion. Is it really? Yeah. I have not been able to find it, but I'm sure it's all, it's got to be on YouTube. Yeah, I'm sure. That's, yeah. that's pretty crazy. I, I, I have heard a couple of covers for this song, but this is one of those, like, you know, on the downside of songs that are covered by other bands. So I always get excited when bands cover The Duelist and Flash of the Blade. I also want to add that I fucking love Phenomena. I used to own it. I just stopped watching it. Like, I sold it because I wasn't watching it. You know that you, you get a, a movie and you watch it till satiation. And then after a while, you're like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to go ahead and sell it. That was one of those that I was like, all right, I'm done. I don't need this. It's taking space. But... Maybe we should do a movie night and watch it all together and make a bonus episode of this. What do you think? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should, probably, we should probably make a list of all these movies and all these references and, you know, actually 
try and do all of them as much as you know aside from the 10,000 war movies that we probably have a list of yeah we're, we're not gonna watch war movies because i would rather die <laughs> we could watch the horror ones uh, or, or, or a concert or something like that That's right cool. you know you guys discussing about what are the next bands we're gonna use and with maiden we just keep falling down yeah. rabbit holes <laughs> i know we we'll, are we'll never, never getting i'm gonna there. make paul listen never to avenge sevenfold uh, i sent him God, that whatever that was, that was uh, them doing Walk by Pantera. That was pretty bad. Paul was very excited. He added <laughs> it to his list. Yeah. <laughs> their, I, their version of um, Flash of the Blade is actually really good. Yeah, I remember listening to it and not being totally offended, uh, pissed <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah, he did not vomit in his mouth. But. There's just something about that band. I don't know. Again, I think it's the look. I, you know, it's not always something about the music. It's something about the way they look and act. Just close your eyes. Yeah, it they... still doesn't work. The guy just sounds. This guy still I mean, sounds like a dude. Kind of reminds me of Motley Crue. And yeah, I'm with you. I mean, not not to turn you off from them, but they are going for Guns N' Roses. Yeah. Yeah, and then every song they do sounds like Metallica or ACDC. So. You know, or at least that that newer album they had released a little bit a couple of years ago, anyway, I think. I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be. <laughs> I'm gonna Let's be, just keep hating on Avenged Sevenfold. For I a know I'm gonna be the, the the voice of reason. Well, the voice of unreason in this conversation, and say I do like some of their songs. I like enough of their music to put it all together and make like a. 12 or 14 song album. So I could go to one of their shows and actually enjoy myself. Anyway, yeah. back to Flash of the Blade. You guys are never doing yeah. another episode with me. <laughs> yeah, right. You um, guys are never doing another episode with me. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of this song, though I do really enjoy the chorus part of it. Um, but the intro lick, the uh, hammer-on workout for the left hand is uh, quite nice. And uh, adds a nice uh, change in dynamic that I think everybody in these years, everybody's picking everything and they actually have that hammering on tone really, really changes everything up. Yeah, when you when you come to think about it, they, they were ahead of their time musically. I really like this song. I mean, I think it's it's got that kind of epic quality that I like about Maiden. To it, uh, it's got Bruce's soaring vocals. It's clearly something he's uh, pretty passionate about, given that it's about fencing. Um, so yeah, this this one's a winner for me. I thought I was going to be alone on this one. I guess I'm alone. Yes, on you this. are. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Duelist is inspired by the 1978 Ridley Scott film of the same title, which in turn was based on the 1908 Joseph Conrad novel The Duel. The Duelist not only had Ridley Scott as a director, it had Keith Carradine and Harvey fucking Keitel. That's awesome. Um, current Alice Cooper guitarist on The Woman Who Stole My Heart with a Guitar in Her Hand, Nita Strauss, said that this song, Flash of the Blade and Back in the Village, have these interesting hammer-on pull-off parts that I hadn't heard in a lot of music before this. She also states that this would become a hallmark of later generation of guitar players. And uh, I'd have to agree with uh, the lovely, lovely Nita on yes. a lot of things. Um, 
I actually do, like I said, I've listened to this album like five times in the past two days. <laughs> so there's some songs like The Duelist and such that were kind of like, eh, like the first listen, second listen. And now on, say, the fifth listen, I've really started kind of enjoying this. Though this one is very sparse in lyrics. You have like a minute, I think it's like a minute and 50 and then we go into like four and a half minutes of like harmonies, guitar solos, and then like 50 seconds left in the track, we go back to lyrics. Um, maybe, maybe this was an instrumental. I well, I it. Right, exactly. And I feel, and like there are certain parts in it. Um, if you listen to the cadence, right, it kind of sounds like where Eagle, where Eagles dare in a couple sections. And I think that they kind of mimicked um, even though it's not necessarily a, a war uh, movie, they kind of mimic the same kind of idea where they have this long kind of bridge of just harmonies and everything else. So I don't know. It it grew on me. I kind of dig it. But I just thought it was kind of ridiculous looking at it that it's like four and a half minutes worth of guitar solos in it. <laughs> and this is coming from the guitar player. So right. When I said... <laughs> Anthony, did it grow on no. you? No. So where I said this album, this album stags <laughs> in the middle. Uh, for me, it's it's the Duelist and, and Back in the Village. These two tracks, I I just find them. Oh, you are. I I don't find them particularly memorable. I mean, when I listen to them, I enjoy them. But you know, if I think about this album, they're the two songs I'm just not really going to ever talk about. I, they're they're decent, but yeah, there's nothing special about them for me. Now, now, do you think they think it's that they're decent because in comparison to like Power Slave and Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and Aces High, that those are yeah, such that's a exactly high the problem. tier that to, to come back down, that ba they're just kind of, they're really good. They're just not good enough to stand yeah, up for the, the rest the of them. Yeah, the problem is I made, made a few too many really good tracks on this album. So when you get to these two, which are good but not phenomenal they kind of disappoint in comparison um you know i think last last week we talked a lot about the running order on peace of mind and here you know mm -hmm. they've put some of that what i think of as by maiden standards filler in the middle of the album and it just means the middle of the album is completely unmemorable um so they start on a high, they finish on a high, and, and these two are, are kind of just the the collateral damage of being in that zone in between. If it was any other band that made these, cool. these would be highlights of an album. But... <laughs> so we're, we're looking, we're looking just for like a silence. Post, please. <laughs> just like dead silence. Cool. Cool. Great. <laughs> I am officially off of Rodu's Christmas card list. <laughs> yeah, so... Um... Yeah, we're we're putting we're putting we're we're putting some other people in that list. Now. <laughs> so the duelist is not is not like telling you that it's a great, fantastic song that I I say I have to go and hit play on this song right now because I had totally forgotten how it went until I hit play on it, and I really I like it a lot, but. No, it's not. It's not a memorable song. And if I have to choose, my least favorite song of the album is a toss-up between this one and Power Slave. 
that's just me. I, 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 Power Slave to me is made by the lyrics, but I guess we'll talk about that when we get there. But I really like the music on this one. Really like the music on this one. Um, and the chorus is not bad. Okay. Don't agree. That's fine. <laughs> Paul's off my list too. Two, two yeah. Lists. It's amazing. Great. Stupendous. Stuff. Great. Stupendous. Fantastic. Back in the village. <laughs> <laughs> uh, inspired by the cult 1960s TV series The Prisoner, um, as was the song of the same name from The Number of the Beast. So this will be the second song from The Prisoner that they've done. Some have claimed that when Dickinson sings I See Sixes All the Way Here, you can hear someone whispering 666 in the background. Couldn't hear it. Did any of you get to hear that? Because I, I tried. And that's in what song? The Prisoner? Or Back the... in the Village. In Back in the Village. No, because you guys didn't listen to it. You probably were like, oh, here's Back in the Village. <laughs> Fuck that song. No. So, <laughs> I, no, I listened to it. I just don't know where he says I see sixes all the way here and there. I don't know where it is in the lyrics. I think it's in the end. Oh, it's like sex is on the way. Sex, sex. I don't know. I, I couldn't hear it. If you're not familiar with the BBC, BB, oh wow, the BBC. <laughs> you're familiar with the BBC show. With the BBC show, there's a movie remake from 1993 with Sweet Han Solo himself, Harrison Ford, and Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, this is my favorite track of the album. And I absolutely despise when they move the Power Slave intro to the back of this song because it ruins my enjoyment of it and it makes no goddamn sense. So I'm good. I'm going to be um, that guy for a second as the historian and just minor correction. Uh, it was actually one of the independent television networks rather than the BBC that made this, but the show is one of my favorite shows of all time. Oh. It is phenomenal. And if you're listening and you haven't watched it and you don't mind a slightly slower pace of TV than you are used to in 2020, the prisoner will blow your mind away. I mean, it's uh, what they were doing in, I think it was 1968 or 1969 with it was ridiculous. So what does that mean that it was, uh, that it was so, BBC? Please explain for those of us who are stupid. Uh, British, t British, <laughs> or British just, TV at or the time, uh, basically you had the, the BBC, which was the government funded state-controlled network, right? They had two channels, BBC One, BBC Two. Everything was made from people paying their TV license, right? Everyone, if you owned a TV, you had to have a TV license and the license fee paid for all the, all the TV shows that were made on it. Uh, and things like Doctor Who, Out of the Unknown, uh, the Quatermass serials at the time, all were shown on the BBC. Sometime in the 1950s, the government had allowed for independent broadcasters to start running and these were commercially funded. So the BBC had no adverts or commercials. The independent ones, which are often known as ITV, independent TV, um, were funded by, you know, cutting to commercial breaks every 15 minutes. Uh, it meant that they could do some things that were a little less safe than the BBC since they didn't have that kind of government mandate. Um, so things like The Prisoner, which were 
hugely groundbreaking uh, tended to come out of ITV rather than uh, the BBC. And the other item with ITV is it was divided up into regions. So you wouldn't, if you lived in London, you wouldn't be getting the same TV shows necessarily as if you lived in Manchester, as an example. So... That was yeah. fascinating, yeah. Sorry, I've, I've researched far too much of this for watches. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, I'm glad, I'm and, glad and, that you and that To guy. this day, yeah, I mean, I you still have that, that division. You know, you still have the BBC channels, which have no commercials um, and are still funded on the license fee. You just have a lot more independent channels than you did with the, the one solitary ITV channel in the UK in, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. I think Channel 4 launched in the mid-80s. So, yeah, that's fantastic. And and where where since since we're already here, where do you guys watch like American shows? Do you get them on one of those um, independent channels, or do you? Have so a... that varies. Uh, it depends who buys it. Um, so obviously, you know, if, if if a show isn't bought by any of the networks, it's not going to get shown in the UK. Um, I think in the seventies, I think that's when Star Trek was bought, and I think that was on the BBC. Uh, but I remember growing up, like I had The Simpsons on um, BBC. I think Friends and Frasier were on Channel Four. Um, some of the shows would be on um, on Sky, so the satellite network. Um, mm. You know, which was obviously you had to pay extra to get that. Um, and I think they got like Star Trek before any of the, the regular uh, channels did as well. So, yeah, it, it, all over the place, really, just depending on whoever bought the rights to it. And uh, some of the shows kind of really got into bidding wars. Like uh, I, I seem to remember that so I, I think it was actually The Simpsons at one point changed networks because the rights came up for renegotiation and two of the, two of the networks got into a bidding war on it. Huh. So. Interesting. I know that in the '90s, Sky was was doing the WWE uh, pay-per-views. Yep. Um, I'm sure they were also doing the shows. Yeah, they were. So, so yeah, but, there you go. Rabbit hole number fifty-five. <laughs> but <laughs> I I love um, the prisoner theme on this. I mean, there's a there's a line in the song: uh, "Questions are a burden, answers a prison for oneself." That line is literally taken from a poster in the pilot episode of The Prisoner. Um, that's on that's you know on the door by the labor office on on the uh, in in the uh, in the uh, village. So yeah, I just think it's really cool. And they were back they were. in the village at that time. I mean, that's again, right. I think this one's that's a right. cool song with a cool theme. I just don't find it as memorable as most of the rest of the album. Because you're I a know. bastard. We're I know. <laughs> <laughs> My first album when we're out of this is gonna be that. Uh, <laughs> I will cut you. <laughs> <laughs> pyromania uh, no he likes pyro he, he tolerates yeah. pyromania uh, okay. be <laughs> um, or the one that has you want to get rock adrenalized that's, that's... <laughs> so Bruce Dickinson added a lot of pilot terminology to the song or so it has been stated before the line there's a fox among the chickens which has been interpreted as a reference to guided missiles, since a radar-guided missile is also known as a FOX-1, infrared-guided air-to-air is a FOX-2, and a napalm missile is a FOX-6. Hence, I see sixes all the way. Um, also, do not make me go down that rabbit hole, please. That will take forever. 
Oh, come on. We don't we don't want any drawn out, you know, military references. We'll get no, we'll have to get Izzy to come in and then he can just run in through that. Yeah, he can over and out Charlie it up. <laughs> also on this album or this song, I should say. Um, they took advantage of that hammer-on trick again with a lot of their riffs. So I don't know if they were really trying to uh, just change up the format of the guitars, you know, rather than having, say, like the straight alternate picking of stuff with uh, Where Eagles Dare or even uh, Phantom of the Opera. This is requiring a little bit more uh, dynamic riff creation and uh, really changes things up. Um, one thing, again, since I listened to it for the fifth time today, I heard there's a walking bass line part in, like, there's a part and there's, like, uh, some harmonies, whatever, and then before it goes into a guitar solo, there's a bass line progression in there. Reminds me of a Megadeth song, um, and I don't know if you guys could pick out which one it is. I have- uh, I'll, go, I'll go give it a listen. I have a feeling it's uh, something we all know, but okay. Yeah, I'll give it. I'll give it a listen. Yeah, I'll need to take another. It's, um, another yeah. listen through. Yeah, see if you like sweet. Um, back in the village and the duelist. Because <laughs> he's not chapped at all. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's, that one's a yay for me. Uh, a nay for these fuckers. <laughs> no, I I like the I like the song. I don't hate it. It's oh, just good. you know, but I was, no, I I'm just saying though that I feel I I like I agree with Anthony at the same time disagree with him, where um, I feel that these couple of songs kind of take down a rung compared to the other ones on the album. But I don't feel like the album in itself or that they're horrible songs. They're just not as impactful as some of the others i'll tell you what my biggest problem with power slave the song is (laughs) the first time i heard power slave we already discussed this a couple times was in live after death and it's i want to say twice the speed of the recorded version (laughs) oh really yes it's it's faster let's say it's one and a half times than what it is. So by the time I got to the, when I went back and I bought the album, that's really fast. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm thinking, I mean, they're like, no, it was. It's like so the album is like, and the live version is, it's it's a little it's. it's yeah, it's faster. It's fast enough, yeah. It's fast enough that you feel it. So when I heard the studio version, I was like, I'll go back to Power Slave and Live After Death. <laughs> um, but it's not a bad song. I just prefer. I would have preferred if they had recorded it a little faster. Mm. When I saw them for the Book of Souls tour, they played it slower than the album version. Because <laughs> they're getting old. <laughs> it was... It was really fucking hot, man. It was really fucking hot. Back in the village and Power Slave had running times of five minutes and seven fourteen respectively. But when the remaster nineteen ninety-eight reissue came out, the introduction to Power Slave was merged with the end of Back in the Village, resulting in Power Slave length 
power slaves length. Jesus, I forgot to speak to that. <laughs> being cut to 648 and back in the village being extended to 521. And also in the remastered release, the silences at the beginning and the end of some tracks were cut, which caused the total length of the album to be cut down to 5034. Now, the, the version I have on my iTunes doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't do that. So it has the the noise the yeah front of, of the beginning yeah on the actual yeah. track separated so as it should fucking be yeah right. yeah so it's like when I I looking through that I was like that's not how I hear it so thank and I think it's the same <laughs> on on Spotify so I I think in one of the remark various remasters over the year they must have corrected it because somebody else Good. probably bitched about it too <laughs> yeah I I, I bitched. I bitched a lot. So. A song about a dying pharaoh, one of the few Iron Maiden songs that I did not really go crazy for anything but the lyrics. I absolutely love the lyrics, and between this and Revelations, that's when I decided that lyrics had to be at least clever. The song describes how this guy, who is supposed to be a god, is about to die, and at the end of his life, will he return as a god? Would he become a god? Why is the end looking like? He also feels overwhelmed by the power of death, and he he thinks sardonically about his hair. Um, not his hair, his hair. <laughs> I always have issues with those two words, hair. You, you can blame it on having um, an accent. Speaking of sequels, yes, goddamn fucking accent. <laughs> speaking of sequels, I read online, so it must be true, that when Bruce wrote this song, it, it was a sequel of sorts to Revelations, or at least somehow linked. To me, it makes no goddamn sense. But I read it, so I felt I had to report. Right. <laughs> I mean, maybe one of us will listen over and over to the point where we'll we'll figure it out. If it's on the yeah. internet, you know, it's yeah, real. That's right. It's real. Yeah. Um. I I love this song. Um. I love it the way it starts. You know. Granted, I I get your point from having the faster pace and coming back down. It's probably yeah. a bit of a bummer. Well, live uh, after death is next. Then you can tell me how fast it really is. Right. Yeah, but um, yeah, I really love the gallop on this riff and the harmonic, you know, minor scale being used. Um, it always gets me pumping up. Actually, I sat and I learned it. <laughs> <laughs> I was sore from all the building and everything, but I was like, screw it. I just sat down and learned up to the up to the solo part where it gets all clean. So I know now how to play the first like three minutes of that song. And the Eye of Horus is probably like, I don't know, one of my favorite lines in there. This is, this is the reason that I, that I tattooed the Eye of Horus is this song. Because I, I didn't, I would have never known what the fuck, like eight year old Radu would have had no idea what the fuck this Eye of Horus shit was. <laughs> right. And thanks to this song, he went searching for it. I was like, oh, this is awesome. So for me, this song is. <laughs> it is. It's, this yeah. this song is so much like um, Revelations for me. Not not necessarily because of the subject matter, but if you remember what I said before on um, on Revelations, it was one I didn't really get when I first started listening to Maiden. I didn't understand what it was trying to do and why it was so great. And as I've got older and I've grown to appreciate deeper things. Um, and more complex mm-hmm. music. This is one that just gets me every time. I fucking love this. It's gone from being a track I, I used to skip to a track that I'm probably, you know, likely to listen to. Oh, you know what? 
I'm going to listen to Power Slave today and listen to nothing else on the album. Like, I've really grown to love this. And, and the way the the vocals and the music work together, particularly in the chorus, when Bruce is like, tell me why I have to be a power slave. And then, it's just fucking epic. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it gets stuck in my head for a number of days. Yeah. The line, when the life giver dies all around is laid waste, that is the that is the one that I get, like, middle of the day. I'm just like, Elaine is like, what you say? It's like, nothing, you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> That just that line just gets stuck in my head and just you know wow okay cool Bruce Bruce is just he he's lit, he's a fucking poet yeah he I mean I and you know Steve Harris this British Lion album that that I just bought Steve Harris can write some some themes that bring tears to my eye <laughs> um, it's like wow this is great like what the fuck but just Bruce is on another level. I'm not, I'm not not shitting on any other other person in that band. It's just saying, at least at this point, Bruce is on another level. And then on the on the next studio album, we'll see that fucking Adrian is on another level. It's just, how do you find so many talented people in one in one room? Or maybe maybe just being together coalesce them into being better. Better. Mm-hmm. So over the years of writing, you know, like Steve started it and then they all just kind of progressively built on top of it. And then by this point, they were all just starting to really, you know, get that niche and, you know, writing, you know, everything out. So, yeah. So like you said, by the next album, now now the guitar players are like, hey, I got some ideas, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, no, it's it's insane. It's, it's it's amazing, just amazing. And speaking of amazing and epic and 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 what a way to end this fucking album, the rhyme of the ancient, Oof. the fantastic story of a captain whose ship has been driven south by storms and the strange happenings that follow. The moral of the story is what not to do if a bird shits on you. That's what Bruce said, so I'm gonna go with that. Or <laughs> we should love all the creatures that God has created. I do like the first one. <laughs> this is the longest Maiden song to date, and they will not record a longer song until Empire of the Clouds came out over 30 years later. Is it 30 years? I read 30 years so many times. Never did really the math, but I think it's yeah. correct. What album is it on? Yeah, Book of Souls. Yeah, that sounds, that's about right, because this is, what, 84, 30 years? Is it, is it that 30 time years again, later Paul, be, to start Yeah. Now? Paul. Yeah, we, I know. I did. I did so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I finally, finally brought up the mouse. This is what eighty four. Yeah, and this says yeah. twenty fifteen for both yeah, souls. Yeah, like thirty one years. Amazing. Can you imagine? I can never imagine having a thirty year career. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine having an eighteen minute song and having to play that live. Well, they've never played Empire of the Clouds live. But we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. 18 minutes. I mean, it's like a Jethro Tull song. <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, dude. Again, you know, Maiden do epic so well. And this album gives us two extremely epic tracks in a row. And I mean epic in like the true classical definition of the word. Not just like, dude, that was epic last night. No, this is like a proper fucking classical epic if homer were a musician 
this is the album he would have made. Oh, I think I think what you said is a proper fucking. I think that one <laughs> kind of describes it just the same. <laughs> because that's exactly what they do for 13 and a half minutes. You just sit there and they fuck the shit out of you with this beautifully, you know, triplet gallop that they put in everything and just suck you into this thing. You get into the middle, like everybody dies out and it's just calm and quiet and they're just sitting there and they're talking and you're just like, what is going on? And then they kick back in and you're just, this is incredible. It's a very loving, you know, that... fucking day. Yeah, right. Speaking of tender fucking, right in the middle, that, that part in the middle, the really quiet part, you know, when, when they come back and Steve Harris does that bass line, yes. that's the very first bass line I've ever learned. Really? Just... <laughs> You know, it's is the best thing I've ever played in my life because it sounded so good that I did it over and over and over again. <laughs> right. But once everything goes back in and everything everybody comes in, I just drop the bass and go home. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that little bass part is the very first thing that I learned. Nice. Nice. I'll have to pay more attention to that. Is that it? Are we all? We, did, did we all come on ourselves? On I, I think so. Yeah, we, you know, power, we made it. Power Slave is just. Yeah, I was wrong. This is definitely gonna be a two-parter. Yeah, at this point, looking at the time, I'm like, yeah, we went from being at 33 minutes to uh, another 40 minutes, like yeah, yeah, 50 so, minutes, and so you guys, um, any final thoughts on Power Slave? Uh, I just like to say that it's an amazing album, and. Um, you know, these guys are just really on top of the game, kind of dominating everything at this moment, as far as I'm concerned. So it just progresses from there. Cool. Cool. What are you garnishing right now? <laughs> you yes. So what's amazing about this is this isn't even their best yet. That, in my mind, is still to come. And this was so fucking good. Like, at the end of this, you're just left thinking, how can this get better? And yet, somehow, it does. Yeah, and the tour, like next week, we'll, we'll be talking about Live After Death. So the tour that came with this album just proved that they were the metal band to, to see, you know, the, the show. You imagine 1984... And you're going to see Iron Maiden because you think the album is great. And then you see the World Slavery Tour and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, if you think about what the other big metal bands are doing at this time, like Priest were out there with Defenders of Faith, which was decent, but it wasn't on this level. Sabbath were on hiatus. Deep Purple were on hiatus. Like Maiden were the metal band to see at this time. So I'm really looking forward to that. Was was Ozzy touring for Bark of the Moon? Fuck that still? guy. I'm, I'm not a fan of Ozzy, so I don't care. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sharon! Any, any, any other British bands that you like, British guys? Uh, some. Some, okay. But no, so, I mean... I'm assuming we're not going to do Oasis anytime soon? Um, you know, I do like oasis but <laughs> you know i'm not going to admit to that too much um but yeah i mean i guess ozzy was out there um touring bark at the moon but you know i, I think about that and 
even Ozzy is like the the giant of metal that he was at the time. I mean, he couldn't he couldn't do anything like this. I mean, this is a band at their tightest, and they 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 just keep going from strength to strength. So, well, and I think Ozzy at this time was probably so coked out of his mind and drugs and alcohol as well that. He couldn't. He couldn't have competed on the same level Mm-mm. as they are. No way. Physically, in any way. Yeah. What? 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 I thought that what helped Ozzy because I've, I, I've seen a lot of Ozzy live um, things. Is that he, his crowd participation, was massive, and he he kept the crowd engaged to the point that they felt part of the band. Yeah. So I think that that's what helped Ozzy in the long run. You know, even though you couldn't touch the Prince of Darkness, you felt like you were part of his crew. Yeah. That, that, that does make for a good show. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. When you feel like you're part of the, of the experience, I'm not saying that Maiden wasn't doing that, but I'm just saying he, he did that and he did it great. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like when you get to sing uh, War Pigs before Guar goes on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess uh, I guess all next right. time we can so, talk about the, the merits of, all right, let's have a party versus Scream for Me Long Beach. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs>